Chapter One of the Directory of a Devout Life by F. B. Meyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter One. Oh, the blessedness. Psalm thirty-two, verse one. Matthew chapter five, verses one to twelve. There is a condition of soul which may be experienced and enjoyed by every child of our race, which his master calls blessedness. He uses the same word to describe it, as is employed to set forth the being of God, and the life of the saints who have passed beyond the veil. Blessed are ye, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, the glorious gospel of the blessed God, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. This condition of soul, however, need not be postponed until we too, in our turn, pass the gate of the city and find ourselves amid the solemn troops and sweet societies of eternity. It may be entered here and now. The fragrance of this garden steals through the crowded and noisy cities of our modern civilization, like the morning air laden with the scent of new-mown grass. The gates of this city stand open, night and day, for lonely souls, in country and sequestered places, where the noise of our city life cannot reach. And at any moment they may tread its thronged streets, listen to its murmured speech, and join in its vast convocations, of which it is written, Ye are come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Blessedness does not depend on outward possessions, such as worldly goods, or lands, or high birth, or erudite culture. Indeed, there are words of Christ which suggest that they who stand possessed of these things will find it harder to enter that paradise which has not yet faded from our world, and to pass through the gates of that city which are before our eyes, if only they were open to discern them. When he repeated this sermon of the mountain heights and of the dawn to the multitudes that stood breathless beneath its spell, he said, Woe unto you that are rich! Woe unto you that are full! Woe unto you, ye that laugh! He did not mean that such would be necessarily excluded, but that entrance into blessedness would be harder for them, as when, after dark, a camel strives to get through the needle-eye gate placed by the city wall for belated pedestrians. There is no soul of man so illiterate, so lonely, so poor in this world's goods, so beset with hereditary sins and demoniacal temptations, that may not at this moment step suddenly into this life of blessedness, begin to drink of the river which makes glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. It is not necessary to ascend into heaven to bring it down, or to descend into the depth of the abyss to bring it up. It has not to be wrestled or wept for. It is not to be obtained by the merit of holy deeds, or as the guerdon of devoted service. It is not a reward which comes after long years in the council chamber or in the tented field. We have not to do, or feel, or suffer, but only to be, to cultivate certain dispositions, to possess a nature here carefully defined, and instantly blessedness begins, an unearthly light breaks on the soul, which is destined to increase into the full radiance of heaven's high noon. Come in, 
thou blessed of the Lord. Can you not hear the angel voices? Wherefore standest thou without? Our master did not speak of this condition of soul by hearsay. For thirty years it had been his sweet and deep experience. During his life in Nazareth, had not the Lamb of God lain in his father's bosom? Had he not realized that he was wrapped around with the love which had been his before the worlds were made? Had he not been content to let the great ones of the world go on their way of pomp and pride, because he was assured of a deeper joy, a more perfect peace, a more satisfying happiness, than Caesar's smile or the imperial purple could afford? The well of water was springing up in his own pure heart before he spoke of it to the woman at Syker's well. He knew the father, loved the father, fulfilled his father's behests, rested in the father's will, was encompassed with the perpetual sense of the father's presence, breathed the sunny air of the father's love. During his earthly life, as he confessed himself, the Son of Man was, therefore, already in heaven. John chapter 3, verse 13. He offers us what he was experiencing for himself. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, that the love wherewith thou lovest me may be in them. Not to the same degree, but after the same quality and kind, we may know in this life, amid difficult, tempestuous, and sorrowful experiences, what the Lord felt when he said, He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things which please him. The ingredients of this experience are enumerated thus. First, it is blessed to belong to that invisible kingdom which is already in our world, including within its ever-expanding circle all gracious souls of every race and age, breathing the ozone of heaven into the stale and exhausted atmosphere of the world, its king, the enthroned lamb, its subjects, the childlike, the forgiving, the gentle, and the pure, its laws, love, its advances, soft, sweet, irresistible as the dawn, its duration, eternal. It is a blessed thing to know that one has the franchise and freedom of that kingdom, that one need never go out from its holy and strong embrace, and that men like John the Divine may greet us thus, your brother and partaker with you in the kingdom which is in Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, Revised Version. Second, it is blessed to be comforted with the comfort which only God can give. When the eyes are wet with tears that refuse to be staunched, to feel a hand soft and strong wiping them away, and to discover that it is the hand that can ruffle an evening calm and bears Calvary's mark in its pierced palm. When the face is buried deep amid the dried flowers and leaves of departed joy, to hear a whisper which thrills the sense, growing fuller and clearer, like a flute, and to detect in its syllables the assurances of the Comforter himself. When the sepulchre seems to hold all that made life worth living, and to become suddenly aware that there is a presence near at hand, and to find that the gardener himself is at hand to lift the drooping plant of life, unfurling its petals again to the light. 
to be strong in God's strength, comforted with the paracletism of the paraclete, to drink of the brook by the way. Here is blessedness, which eye hath not seen, neither the ear of ordinary man heard, nor the unregenerate heart perceived. Even the bereaved and lonely heart, sitting amid the wreckage of all its joys and hopes, may be aware of this. Third, it is blessed to inherit the earth. When that condition of soul is reached of which the Master is speaking, heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something shines in every hue Christless eyes have never seen. There is a new rapture in common sights, a new meaning in common sounds. Lilies are robed more sumptuously than Solomon. The winged and furred denizens of the woodlands become, as St. Francis found them, little brothers and sisters. As Cooper said, such a man may be poor compared with those whose mansions glitter in his sight, but he calls the luxuriant prospect all his own. Every wind wafts him blessing. All things work together for his good. Whether Paul, or Paulos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all things bring their tribute to the man who has learnt Christ's secret, which, like the fabled philosopher's stone, turns everything into gold. What inheriting the earth means is shown in the words of one of Christ's most proficient pupils, when he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You may own vast estates and get nothing from them. You may have no rod or perch of land, and yet you may derive joy and delight from every scene and extract nutriment from every incident. Newspapers, public events, journals, travels, pictures, architecture, literature, human life, all shall minister to your joy and perfecting. Fourth, it is blessed to be filled. In this life, as well as in the next, it is possible to hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Not to hunger for the husks that the swine eat, because filled with the provisions of the Father's table. Not to thirst for the heated pools at which the children of the world seek to quench their thirst, because the well of water that springs up to eternal life is within. Not to clamor for the flesh-pots of Egypt, because there is so plentiful a provision of manna. Oh, it is a blessed thing to be filled with the Spirit, to be full of joy and peace, to be fulfilled with God's grace and heavenly benediction, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, to be filled with the knowledge of His will, to be filled unto the fullness of God. Tennyson says that the babble of the Wye among the hills lasts until the tidal wave fills up its channels to the brim, and the heart is restless till it is full. But when it has realized this blessed fullness, dipped deep into the fullness of God, and lifted out dripping with flashing drops, ah, then, evil has no lure to charm, the fear of man cannot intrude, the fascination and blandishments of sense are neutralized. What more can the soul want than to be filled with thee, O God, who didst make us for thyself? Cannot a flower be satisfied which has a sun to shine on it, and a glacier-fed river to wash its roots? Fifth, it is blessed to be the recipient of mercy. There is never a moment of our life 
in which we do not stand in need of mercy, both at the hand of our fellows and, above all, from the hand of God. There is no saint in the heavenly kingdom who does not, at some time or other, need to appropriate the petitions of the man after God's own heart and say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. We need mercy from little children, startled by our harsh tones, mercy from our servants and employees, hindered by our inconsistencies, our quick temper and imperious tones, mercy from husband or wife, brother or sister, neighbor or friend, above all, mercy from the most merciful. And it is blessed to know that we have it in heaven's own measure, full, pressed down, and running over. So far from it making us lax in permitting sin, it predisposes us to more mercy towards the failings of others, more mercilessness to ourselves. Sixth, it is blessed to have the vision of God, not to terrify as when Moses hid his face and Elijah went into the covert of the cave and John fell at his feet as dead, but more after the fashion of Mr. Hewitson's experience when he says, Our Redeemer is no mere abstraction, no ideality that has its being only in our shifting thoughts. He is the most personal of all persons, the most living of all who live. He is the first and the last and the living one. He is so near us as the Son of God that we can feel his warm breath on our souls. And, as the Son of Man, he has a heart like these hearts of ours, a human heart, meek and lowly, tender, kind and sympathizing. In the word, the almost viva voce utterance of himself, his arm of power is stretched forth beside you, that you may lean on it with all your weight, and in the word, also, his love is revealed, that on the bosom of it you may lay your aching head, and forget your sorrow in the abundance of his consolation. To the living one who died we must look, that we may be weaned and won over to God, that we may be strengthened, spiritualized, and sanctified. Who would not desire a life like this, in which God should be the one dear presence, the one familiar and ever-present object of thought, the friend with whom an increasing dialogue is maintained? A young girl employed in a shop told me the other day that her consciousness of God and her converse with him had now lasted for three years, and that difficult things had become easy, as though he arranged all and smoothed out the creases. Seventh it is blessed to be recognized as the Son of God. Some are undoubtedly children of God who are not like God. It would require a great deal of scrutiny to detect His image and superscription on their faces or the tones of His voice in their speech. The manners of the heavenly court are not evident in their demeanor. The courtesy and thoughtfulness that characterized the Son are not characteristic of their behavior to the poor and timid, to little children and women, they too often break the bruised reed and quench the smoking flax. They strive and cry and cause their voices to be heard in the street. They do not bear, believe, hope, and endure all things, or elicit the love of men to him whose name and nature they ought to bear in every lineament. Be it ours to be imitators of God as dear children, 
to be harmless and blameless, the sons of God, without rebuke. To be thus is to be blessed. Eighth, we come back to the kingdom of heaven. For blessedness is like a spiral staircase. We are always coming back to the same standpoint from a higher position on the circling round. When we begin to live for God, we find ourselves in the kingdom and are ravished with the beauty of the dawn. But after years have been spent in doing His will and walking in His fellowship, there is a new depth of loveliness and significance in its infinite and divine contents. O Christ, Thou King of glory, uplift us above the common dusty road of mortal life. Lift us up into Thy life, above the heads of our enemies, above the weight of our flesh, above the glamour of the world, and make us most blessed for ever, and glad with the joy of Thy presence. End of chapter 1